And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. A very blessed and joyous Christmas to you all. Jesus is the reason for the season. And today, in his first of three Christmas messages, Pastor Elliot takes us to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. There we will see that the first Christmas was a wonderful revelation of God becoming man. And now with our message is our own Pastor Robert Elliott. Christmas, what a wonderful and warm season. A time when even self-made successes and self-appointed critics of the church gravitate toward God. A time when those resistant to religion sing about God and sin and angels and joy and salvation and the Savior. Picture it. Men and women in your particular office setting, standing around at the office Christmas party, and with song sheets in hand, they robustly start to sing, Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord at thy birth, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Only at Christmas. Around 1987, two U.S. Navy ships made the first official visit to China since the Communist Revolution. Beside giving tours of the interesting sights to their Western guests, the Chinese Navy invited the American officers and enlisted men to a magnificent Chinese dinner. After eating, all the Chinese sang a greeting to their American visitors. Now it was the visitor's time to sing. A guide whispered to the commanding officer that etiquette required it to be a song that all the visitors knew so that the Chinese could see them all singing. What would they sing? Popular rock tunes? An historical ballad? Country and western? Nursery songs. No, none of these would do because it could not be guaranteed that all of the soldiers would know each song. After several awkward minutes at this banquet, the desperate U.S. commanding officer finally suggested one last song, and they all knew it. And so the officers and the enlisted men of the two U.S. Navy ships rose to their feet before their delighted communist Chinese hosts, and together they sang the first verse. Of Silent Night. Christmas hymns have always been very powerful and influential medium to convey spiritual truth. It was so back in the New Testament and it remains so in this 21st century. And our scripture text, the one verse we're going to study twice, is just that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is a quote from most probably a first century church hymn. And yes, 1 Timothy 3.16 gives us the partial words of this hymn that the apostles 
Paul and Peter and James and John and others saying when they met in local church settings after our Lord and Savior had been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended back to his Father's right hand. Listen to these Holy Spirit-inspired words out of the baby church's hymnal, for they are scriptural words which God the Holy Spirit deemed worthy to be included in our Holy Bibles. 1 Timothy 3.16 And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I'm convinced in looking at this one verse that we see six themes which summarize the essence of Christmas, but they do more than that. I'm sure that 1 Timothy 3.16 relays six aspects of our Lord's glorious person and work. The verse itself calls these six facts about Jesus a mystery. That is an open secret. And this verse calls these six truths about Christ specifically the mystery of godliness. That is to say that these six realities about Christ are the open secret as to how all sinners, like all of us, can be made acceptable to a holy God. And these six facts about Jesus are well worth our pondering year-round, but especially at this wonderful time of Christmas. So what are the six facts worthy of our reflection this morning? We'll cover three of them in our time together in this service. And then the Lord willing, on the evening of December 21st, we'll take up the last three facts. So let's quickly together consider three glorious truths, godly mysteries about Jesus Christ that when embraced, when believed, when acted upon, can make sinners like us acceptable to a holy God. The first fact is revelation. Jesus revealing God in the flesh. Revelation, Jesus revealing God in the flesh. Christmas, of course, is all about God becoming human. Theologians call this the hypostatic union or the incarnation. But everyday people like us ought to call it a miracle. A miracle. You see, the eternal second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ becoming a human baby who grew up who was first a boy and then a fully grown man, is nothing short of a miracle. Jesus Christ took on human flesh and became human, but without a sin nature. Because Christ was born to a virgin woman, a technical medical virgin woman named Mary. Thus he did not inherit the disposition and the inclination to sin that all the rest of us did inherit from our sinning dads. God remaining 100% God, but also becoming 100% human, except this God-man never sinned because he couldn't sin. Because he lacked a sin nature and because God can never, ever, ever sin. 1 Timothy 3.16 puts the mystery of the incarnation this way, uses an economy of words. He who was revealed 
in the flesh. It wasn't long in the history of the church from the ascension of Jesus Christ back to his father's right hand after his resurrection for error to creep into the baby church. Heresy. Docetism was one of those grave doctrinal errors into which the early church quickly fell. This erroneous thought about Jesus was that he only seemed to be human. They pushed it even farther. They said in this error that Jesus only seemed to be crucified. They pushed it even further in this error about believing in Christ in the early church. They said he only seemed to physically die. Of course, this is dead wrong compared to reality and compared to the scriptural revelation about reality. Scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ actually became a man, that Christ really was crucified, that Jesus Christ truly medically died so he could be seen and heard by other humans, so he could feel and experience our temptations and our pains, so he could be handled by other people, So he could fully explain and demonstrate immortal, invisible, God only wise. So he could fully explain and demonstrate who who God is. And so 33 years after his miraculous birth, he could shed his blood and he could die to pay for your sins and for mine. Sit back, listen up for a short Christmas devotional. I have a Christmas devotional I'd like to share with you this morning. It's called Myrrh, A Royally Fine Gift by Sandra Glan, adjunct professor of Christian education and pastoral ministries and editor-in-chief of Kindred Spirit of Dallas Theological Seminary. Opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Myrrh, a royally fine gift. Would you give someone a casket or embalming fluid as a baby gift? Of course not. Yet that's exactly what we often think the Magi did in bringing myrrh to the Christ child. We know that first century people used myrrh to reduce pain and prepare the dead for burial. On the cross, Jesus refused wine mixed with myrrh before he died. And later, Nicodemus brought myrrh to prepare Jesus' corpse. Because of these associations, we tend to assume that the wise men had death in mind. Yet the Magi had no idea about the coming crucifixion. Jesus' own disciples comprehended it only afterward. Mary of Bethany alone, who anointed Jesus for burial, seems to have understood beforehand that our Savior had to die before returning to reign. We certainly see a literary foreshadowing of death in the Magi's gift. Yet, consciously, they themselves would have connected their myrrh more with royalty. Think of how Esther spent six months using oil of myrrh before her night with the king. Esther chapter 2 verse 12. And later, 
In Psalm 45, verses 6 and 8, we read, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. When the Magi asked Herod the location of the one born king of the Jews, they said that they had come to worship him. Matthew 2, verse 2. Then, when the Magi finally found him, they knelt and paid homage with their lavish gifts. To connect myrrh only with death is to miss myrrh's strong association with riches, rejoicing, and royalty. Matthew's focus in the Christmas story is on the arrival of the king. Through his telling, we see that these wise men journeyed far to offer great gifts in honor of the one born Lord of Lords. Shall we, who know so much more of him, offer any less? Lord, we pray that we would understand your royalty this Christmas, that you are in fact the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that one day you are coming back, having come the first time as a lamb for sinners slain, that one day, King of Kings, you will come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah to rule and to reign the earth in righteousness. How we long for that day. But until the day comes, may we live under your kingship, your lordship of our lives. Jesus, may you be the king of Calvary Bible Church and the king of every other Christian assembly rooted in your word in the Bahamas and beyond. Lord, we enthrone you in our hearts and minds and lives with your royal dignity that myrrh reminds us of this Christmas. And we pray these things in your royal and beautiful name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and today is another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to pick up where we left off last week as we consider the problem with Christmas. And we consider, just as we talked about last week, where we have come from, from the beginning of time, from Genesis straight to the end of the Old Testament of Malachi, where we had 400 years of silence, and then God speaks. And I think too many times in our lives, again, as we talked about last week, we just like to pick up the story right here, and some people get you know to the point where, I've heard this over and over, why do I need to hit us again, especially us in the church? But we need to remember where we were and where we have come from. So again, as we pick up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 23, it says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. 
see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is God with us. You see, when we consider the time of silence, we see this was time for God to come. God came at the right time. God sent his son into this world at the right time. We see the circumstances that he sent his son. He didn't send his son as a king would come, but he sent him in lowly, humbling beginnings. Sent him in the, in the course of, of, a, of a virgin, Mary, who in a sense, her husband, Joseph-to-be, wanted to divorce her because he is like, how can this be? How can, you know, you, we haven't had no relations and here it is, you're pregnant. But here it is, an angel appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, we need to understand that God is changing the whole perspective now. As we looked at last week, God sent the kings, he sent the prophets, he sent all these different people, but now he's sending himself. He's sending himself into this world because it's time for him to come. You see, God didn't send a messenger. He came here himself. But he didn't come in a display or power or strength. He came in the form of a newborn baby, the child of a poor, unmarried teenage girl, a baby who would someday grow up to live, die, live again, and save the world. This is the beginning. This is the climax of the story. This is the plot that we would all love to see. But we will miss it if we don't remember where we came from. We would forget the plot and we would forget the whole story if we don't remember how we in ourselves follow our own desires, did what we wanted to do, set up our own idols. No, this is what what God did. He sent his son, God with us, Emmanuel. Verse 21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is his purpose. His purpose to this world is to come in and to save the people from their sins. Again, I'm not sending anyone. I'm not sending anyone else because that has failed. I'm coming myself. And I'm coming to save the people from their sins. Because only he can do that. No king, no prophet, no one else could do it but him. And I think that as we consider our lives and we consider the Christmas story, we need to think about that part of our lives because we are sinful people. We are people born in sin. We are a people in need of a Savior. We are people who, who needed and still need Jesus Christ. Because his death on the cross paid the price for our sin, past, present, and future. And this is a God who did it all. He had to come. Emmanuel, God with us. And I consider this story, and I consider Christmas, and I consider, like I said, you know, we need to recognize what Jesus Christ did for us. And we can talk about all the great gifts that we've ever gotten. You know, you know, we can think of what we have. But the greatest gift that any one of us could have is what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. As we consider God's word, we consider John chapter 1, verse 14. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe from his glory and glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, this is what Jesus was, full of grace and truth. This Christmas, let's celebrate God's unexpected grace. Again, as we consider the whole you know, picture of Christmas, let's remember 
the grace of Christmas. Let us remember Jesus, God, Emmanuel, come into this earth to save us from our sin, to give us hope. You see, as we consider after 400 years of humanity waiting for God to send rescue, God did. But he did in a way no one expected. The great and holy but distant and untouchable God we thought we knew said, hang on, I'm just going to come to you. Then he showed up not as a powerful, uh, a majestic deity with angels declaring his arrival, but as one of us, born in a manger with no fanfare or declaration at all, except, as we know, the handful of shepherds. We need to understand as we consider this story God didn't use the most prominent people to tell the story. He used lowly shepherds in a field one night. People who were outcasts. People who people thought, well, you know, they didn't want nothing to do with them. Stinky shepherds taking care of sheep. He sends angels to talk about this incredible gift of grace. Him coming to the world. What an what a amazing way. The birth of Jesus was God declaring, I'm with you. I'm here to save you. It was unexpected. And it was a demonstrated of God's incredible grace. You know, I want you to, as we close this segment, I want us to think about this. If you have heard the Christmas story a thousand times, each year it serves as a reminder of a few things. That we are part of a bigger story. And it's God's story. A story that is still being written today. That God tends to show up in unexpected ways and unexpected times, even today. And that Jesus Christ is God's unexpected gift of grace and redemption. I want you to look at Christmas this way this year. And I want you to remember where you have come from. And as God was silent for 400 years, he showed up at the right time. This Christmas, he continues to do that. He continues to show up at the right time. When we think of life and we think of the chaos and we think of all the things that we go on in our life, we see how God shows up right at the right time. And he does it because he loves us. And he shows us the gift of grace over and over again. I want to challenge you. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal name, and this is the first time you're hearing this story, I want you to remember this. Christ came to this earth as a babe to die, to save the sins of the world. That was his purpose. His purpose was to die for the sins of the world. So I challenge you. Do you know him? Do you know Christ as your Lord, personal Savior? If you don't, you can experience Christmas for the very first time. Because Christmas is not about all the fanfare that we make it. But is it about Christ? And Christ coming to this world to die for my sin and your sin. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, the great God. O fountain of all good, destroy in me every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and scatter it to the winds. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness. Implant in me true lowliness of spirit. Abase me to self-loathing and self-abhorrence. Open in me a font of penitential tears. Break me and then bind me up. Thus will my heart be a prepared dwelling for my God. Then can the Father take up his abode in me. 
Then can the blessed Jesus come with healing in his touch. Then can the Holy Spirit descend in sanctifying grace. O Holy Trinity, three persons and yet one God, inhabit me, a temple consecrated to thy glory. When thou art present, evil cannot abide. In thy fellowship is fullness of joy. Beneath thy smile is peace of conscience, and by thy side no fears disturb. No apprehensions banish rest of mind. With thee my heart shall bloom with fragrance. Make me meet through repentance for thine indwelling. Nothing exceeds thy power. Nothing is too great for thee to do. Nothing too good for thee to give. Infinite is thy might. Boundless thy love. Limitless thy grace. Glorious thy saving name. Let angels sing for sinners repenting, prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened, broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, the self-righteous stripped, the formalist driven from a refuge of lies, the ignorant enlightened, and saints built up in their holy faith. I ask great things of a great God. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at Radio at gmail.com that's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas and remember everyone needs a savior